Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession of our sins this morning is from Proverbs chapter 8. I have a bit of a unique call to confession this morning, so hang with me. Proverbs 8, beginning at verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign. Rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Then verse 25, Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields, or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Thus far the reading of God's word. Two things from this passage today. First, uh, putting scripture together, uh, this I was there at the beginning is not just an abstract attribute of God, wisdom. This wisdom that's speaking is the only begotten Son, the Word, that spoke creation into being. Notice the first thing we know about God the Father and the Son is that He works. In the beginning, God created. He made things. Here in Proverbs, we see the Son was a master craftsman, the delight of His Father, also rejoicing in the world that He made. My delight was with the sons of men. God worked wisely, and then he said, that's good. God had a lot of fun making the cuttlefish and the eagle and the moon and the canyons and the mountains. It was a delight. So the first point is this. Use wisdom in your work and take delight in your work, as God does in his. The second half of this is that the uh, phrase master craftsman. I find that interesting. Master craftsman. Adam was alone at first, we know, and that was not good. There was more work to do. And so something interesting, a favorite verse of mine in the beginning of the scriptures is Genesis 3.22. The first 52 verses of the Bible, it's all God saying, let there be, and so God made. And the word made there is just basic, make something or do something. Very generic kind of word. But when you get to the verse where God makes Eve, the first word of the verse is built, which is kind of odd. We're going to talk about building a lot today. Built. God takes a rib from the man and he builds a woman. How's that for odd? The idea is there's an intricate fashioning going on. Not like the man that he shapes from the dirt. The woman has to be built from a rib. And that's meant to give honor and dignity to the woman. 
So when Adam wakes up, when a husband today wakes up every day, he sees a complex and wondrous world around him, and he sees a complex and wondrous woman before him. Two things, both difficult and delightful, to steward, to husband. So hopefully you can see this applies not just to husbands, right? Homemaking is complicated and wonderful. So is teaching, engineering, going through school. I'm getting to the second point here. Our work often seems overwhelming, impossible, sometimes exasperating. Don't despair or grow weary and discouraged in your work. It's supposed to be a big task. It's God's calling on your life. So take delight in your work as God does in his and don't grow weary in well-doing. This reminds us of our need to confess our sin. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would grant us wisdom and understanding in this text, a unique, challenging text in some ways, but also very relatable, as we hope to see. Help us to understand from your word what you have for us today, that we might uh, believe and follow your son Jesus more closely. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, that was the hard part. This will be easy after that. This isn't one of those texts we usually preach on if we don't go straight through the books of the Bible. One good reason to do it. Believe it or not, though, I once attended the ordination of a friend who was being ordained to be an associate pastor, and this was the sermon text for an ordination service. I, I wondered, too, what do you mean? Why would you... What? Well, the point was, you're working with other people. As you become ordained to be a pastor, look at all the names in there. There's a lot of people around you that you're working with. Build together as a team. It was pretty good. My theme is much the same. God calls us to build a life of godliness and glory together. So, now this is not a text that calls for parsing the grammar of every verse, right? Sometimes we do that in the New Testament especially. This isn't one of those. I'm going to just quickly survey what this long description is doing. And then I'm going to pick out some themes from various verses. I'm going to land uh, several for the big, longest amount of time in verse 14, if you're interested. And, and maybe you can figure that out, or it'll remain a mystery until we get there. Uh, but let's begin first by noticing the first and last verse mentioned the sheep gate. So if you imagine Jerusalem as a rough, I don't know, circle, cube, there's all different maps. It's hard to tell exactly what it was. But the sheep gate was the northernmost. And what's going on here is... Nehemiah is describing uh, each person to, to the left. As he goes from one person to the next, it's the guy on his left that's building next, and then the guy on his left. So he's working counterclockwise all around the city. That's what he's doing. So he starts at the sheep gate, and they're building all around next to each other, next to each other, next to each other, next to each other, and he winds up back at the sheep gate. So he, he describes the whole circle. No, it's not exactly a circle, but the, the entire... Um, border of the city, the wall of Jerusalem. That's what Nehemiah is doing uh, big picture wise. The high priest is mentioned first. I think that's important. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is he's leading the response to Nehemiah's call. He's leading the response to start the work. 
Uh, another thing we'll come to later is that the sheep gate is the gate closest to the temple. So uh, there's, a, there's a prominence given uh, that the, the wall of the city needs to be built and it needs to start closest to the temple because the temple is the main thing we're protecting here. Uh, so the high priest is mentioned first. Uh, and again, this is going to seem kind of like a scattershot sermon. I've just got separate point after separate point here, okay? So let's talk about names next. A lot of names in this chapter, right? Uh, it's interesting that most of the names, not all of them, but most of the names end in some kind of ah or L. And there's a reason for that. In, in the Hebrew language, you, you would name children after Yahweh, usually ending in Yah, right? So if you have a child named Zechariah, like I do, the A-H at the end stands for Yah. That, that's what that means. Uh, or L, like Bethel, right? The house of God. L is a Hebrew word for God. Now, not all of them. It's not like this is required. But there's a strong tendency among God's people to name children with God in mind somehow, right? Uh, that's, that's the case. It turned out with all four of our children, we, had, we did that. We didn't really plan on it, but you can quiz them later if you want on what their names mean. We talked about it this week. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Lots of names and lots of places, right? Most of these places are lost to us in history. It's, it's kind of like reading through this, it's kind of like being out of state and you get lost off the highway asking for directions, right? And the, and the local says, sure, just go down this road till you get to where Farmer John's barn used to be and then turn right. It's like, where's Farmer John's barn used to be? We're, we're kind of throwing up our hands when we try to figure out what the Tower of the Hundred was and everything else, right? The point isn't to know the geography so much. Some of that will be helpful, we'll see. But the big picture is the point. We're building something beyond our own home that impacts the safety of our home. That's what Nehemiah and the, the Jerusalem people are doing. The walls of Zion, they're building up. This is why we sang Psalm 122 today and, and read that. that. They're precious to us because we love God's people. And we're praying and working for the peace of Jerusalem. When we started um, teaching our kids Latin, the first saying in the book was ora et labora. Great Latin saying, pray and work. And that's what uh, Nehemiah is doing, praying and working for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, much of the wall was built against homes. You see that especially towards the end of the chapter uh, where it says, uh, like verse 28, they made repairs each in front of his house, in front of his own house. So part of the point there is that your family is greatly impacted by the state of the city, by the state of the church. For one example of that, uh, think of the state of the church today. It's in quite sad disrepair. And because of that, some of you have to drive a long way to go to church. That's impacting us as families, right? Because the state of the church is in such disrepair. These things are connected. Some of you do uh, classical conversations or Christian school or trail life. These are all good things. These are all part of building up the city wall. We need them as bulwarks to protect the family, to build up the family. So we're building something beyond our own home that's impacting our home. 
we're building uh, not just selfishly for our own families, though that is a top priority. We're building because we love God's people. There, there, there's a, a citywide community um, aspect to this. It's, you, you see that um, some of the people aren't building just by their homes. Some of them, it appears, don't have a home. They just make repairs. Uh, so it's not just uh, everyone building by his house. There's more going on than that. We're building next to each other is the next point. We're building next to each other. We have our own things to work on, but since we're next to each other, we're going to impact each other. And that's, that's right. That's good. That's how God wants it. So don't throw your trash on my property would be one application of that, right? As you're clearing the debris in your own uh, part of the wall, don't just throw it on your neighbor's part of the wall. You need to watch out for each other. Uh, more positively, uh, we just helped shore up one house together, sending meals to a family in need. Right? That's an application of what we're talking about here. We're, we're building next to each other. And sometimes that means we go over and give them a rock or two that they need to build. Right? So we're building next to each other. That's why we read from Galatians 6 today. I always find Galatians 6, that passage, interesting because it says two separate and seemingly contradictory things. Right? It says, bear your own burden, bear your own load. But it also says, bear the burdens of one another. Right? There's, there's a time to focus on, on your neck of the woods, and there's a time to say, oh, those people over there need help. And that's not contradictory, it's a timing kind of thing. We're building next to each other. Notice, too, that these were not expert builders, all of them, right? Did you notice some people mentioned were perfumers, goldsmiths? These are not people known for their building qualities, right? They're probably not so mechanically inclined. But everybody's building. So maybe you're one of those people you don't quite know what to do, how to build, right? Well, since you're next to someone else, you can always steal a look at how they're building and copy that. <laughs> or better yet, probably just go and ask them, right? That's what's going on here. That's why God has us build next to each other, so that we learn from each other better how to build. Uh, last thing on that, to notice that the priest and the Levite and the people are all building next to each other. Verse 17 mentions the Levites. The priests are around verse 22. So we each have our own work to do in our own station to do it in. So uh, you may be building as, as a husband, as a daughter, as a student, as a, a, a deacon, as a, as a potential elder, as a pastor. There's all different stations in life, but we're all building. So we each have our work. In our sinful nature, we tend to neglect our own work and point to others who should be doing the work. Right? We have to watch out for that. We're building next to each other. So we often tend to rely too much on other people to do our work for us. That, that, that's a, a natural tendency we have. I notice this sometimes in uh, church politics. Uh, the people might complain, the pastor might complain. And we each have our different ways of complaining, right? The people might complain, the pastor isn't working hard enough to grow the church. Or the, the um, pastor might complain, the people just sit back and expect the church staff and the missions they support to do all their work, 
right? So all, all kinds of ways to apply that. So know where your boundaries are, know what you're called to do, and, and do it. Don't have those bad attitudes. Uh, here in the text, the picture is of everyone pitching in and doing their part. Next thing is to notice in verse 5, uh, some people don't do the work. The Tekoites made repairs. I forgot to look it up, but there's a prophet from Tekoa, wasn't it? The shepherd of Tekoa. Is it uh, Amos? I think Amos was from Tekoa. So uh, here the noblemen of Tekoa uh, did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. Interesting. It doesn't really tell us why. Uh, I see three possible reasons. One is basic laziness. Right? Proverbs 24.30 I went by the field of the lazy man and he describes the broken down hedge. A little sleep, a little slumber, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit. Right? The, the Proverbs speak against laziness. Another possible reason is they didn't see the need. Maybe they didn't buy into Nehemiah's vision, which seems kind of odd. It seems like a pretty clear and compelling vision to us. But this happens all the time among God's people. There are competing visions, and so people don't buy into one thing, and so they sit back and sit on their hands. <clears throat> the last option, I think, is the best. I think they were just too proud. It mentions their nobles, the noblemen of Tekoa. Uh, building the kingdom of God takes humble work. Humble work. It's work that um, batters down your ego, right? You cannot stand on your ego, your pride, or your reputation if you're going to do the kingdom work of God. I read this past week in a magazine, an article by a, a priest, Catholic priest, he was talking about the importance of the church, and he said he had a critic come to him once who said, why does the church always treat people like children? You know, this is the Catholic church we're talking about, so, you know, he's saying, it's always father this, and my child that, and why is the church always talking down to, to us like we're children? And the priest just quoted Matthew 18 to him, unless you become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And that whole chapter is about arguing about who is the greatest and not doing that, <laughs> right? That, that's important. There's a certain type of person that's tempted to say, I'm too important for this, for this work. I'll do something else. And the noblemen of Tekoa seem to be that type. So be careful of that. Whatever God calls you to do, set your hand to it. I've always appreciated the saying that uh, you never know how much of a servant heart you have until someone treats you like a servant. And, and if you get really upset by that, then you, you know. You, you say you do, but you really don't. So there are times we're tested in that. And Nehemiah calls these noblemen to do this work, and they think it's beneath them, perhaps. So some don't build like they should. Next, we build in different ways. In verse 20, I've noticed. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, carefully repaired the other section. And I think that's the only verse in which the, the, adjective, or the adverb carefully shows up. Everywhere else is just they built, they made the repairs, they did the work. This guy did it carefully. I find that fascinating. Some of you, when you do home repair, uh, you are meticulous, you are painstakingly slow to the exasperation of your family sometimes too, right? 
There's a lot of leeway that we should give each other in how we build our own place. We tend to think there's only one way to do it, and, and it's our way that's the best way. But that isn't always the case. We have to give um, different families, different individuals leeway in how they follow the Lord together. We're building in different ways. Some build with no mention of a home, as I said before, that not everyone has a family or a house of their own. Their life pattern is quite different from yours. So that is also going on. Marriage is, is the basic pattern for life, but it is not a requirement to be a faithful Christian. I have to remember that sometimes when we emphasize families so much in church. We're building in different ways. Uh, the next point is, is my longer one today. We build on a history. We build on a history that's good and bad. And here I want to delve into the history of verse 14. Uh, it's, it's quite compelling. Verse 14, Melchijah, the son of Rechab, leader of the district of Beth Hakarem. Now, do you remember the phrase Beth Hakarem from our earlier scripture reading? Turn with me, if you can, to Jeremiah 6. We were just there a few moments ago. Jeremiah 6. Beth Hakarem is the city district. It's kind of like, like Dearborn or Royal Oak, our districts of Detroit kind of thing. Beth Hakarem is, is part of Jerusalem, right? So Jeremiah 6, children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee from the midst of Jerusalem, blow the trumpet in Tekoa, set up a signal fire in Beth Hakarem. There it is. For disaster appears out of the north. Now, the, that district has the, the gate, if you go back to verse 14, it's the refuse gate that they repair there. Right? The refuse gate leads out to the valley of Hinnom. And the prophecy of Jerusalem, like we just said, starts out with that, set up a signal fire in Beth Hakarim. Because Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. The Assyrians are coming. That's the idea. And, and that's going to happen because of their sin. And God's very specific about that sin. So from Jeremiah 6, verse 1, put a signal fire in Beth Hakarim. Then to uh, chapter 7, verse 30, which we also read. I'll just read part of it again. Verse 30. Let's see, uh, verse 31. They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. There it is. Where's the Hinnom Valley? Right outside this refuse gate, which Nehemiah is rebuilding now, the men of Beth Hakarem. So, just to make the point very clear and obvious, and I didn't read the next verse, but you remember, it's there in the valley of Hinnom, where Israelites are burning their sons and their daughters. That's the very spot. So, let me paint the picture for you here, however gruesome. It's on this very spot in Jeremiah's day, God's people living in Jerusalem are walking out of this gate, the refuse gate, with their firstborn, newborn baby down to the valley of Hinnom to an idol of Molech and placing their child in a raging, consuming fire in worship of that idol. And God says in Jeremiah 7, in so many words, I've been patient with your many sins, but when you do this, when you sacrifice innocent infant life for your own fertility or easier life, then destruction is coming. 
And it did. That's a serious point for us to consider. But the point in Nehemiah chapter 3 is somewhat different. We build on a history, good or bad. Now with Nehemiah, 200 years later, on that exact same spot, God is graciously giving his people a chance to rebuild that very gate. It's almost like, I, I couldn't come up with an example of this uh, this week, but I've heard of a, a few instances where a church uh, takes over an abortion clinic and uses it for their offices or for their uh, worship. It's similar to that. There's, there's a redemption of, of bad history that can take place that God graciously gives us. <clears throat> Just an appendix on that. The, the way you say the Valley of Hinnom in Hebrew is, Valley is Gah. And then you have Hinnom or Hena, so it's Gehenna. And if you know the, the Greek word Gehenna, that carries directly over, and Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, this is why we read from Mark 9, hell. Gehenna is hell. The valley of Hinnom, where they sacrifice those babies, is the pit of hell. You know, one picture of hell is the lake of fire, Right? But in Mark 9, the picture Jesus gives is a city trash heap that's constantly burning. And, and not just the neat kind of modern trash heap we have where you've got a wall of grass, right, so you don't really see anything there. It, no, it's more like Mordor, it, only worse because there's dead bodies of the poor everywhere who couldn't afford a burial and such like awfulness. And in later centuries in the Roman Empire, in their cities, they would, every city had this back then, a, a city trash uh, heap on the outside of town. The practice of the, the Roman Empire, people would take unwanted children and just take them out to the dump and leave them there. Exposure. And the early church began the practice of walking through Gehenna, looking for babies to rescue. So we're building on a history, good and bad. The church has a long pro-life history to build on. Our country has a great heritage in its founding and its pioneering. But there's plenty of black eyes too. Your family, your parents, it may be the same way. Maybe they weren't faithful at all and you're trying to learn a different way. Or you have generations of faithfulness and you're building on that. We're building on a history, good or bad. It's very compelling to think about that. We just dove into one verse right there. There's 31 more. This, this, this chapter is chock full of stuff. So much of history is, well, it's lost to history, right? But every now and then we get a snippet and we get a sense of what's going on, this big picture that God's giving us. We're, we're building up, we build up specific people and places in our lives that are worth mentioning and honoring. And God has given you a specific place, a unique DNA, family, neighbors, a church in which to build. So I'm going to move into application at this point. The, the building we're doing is, is not a, a physical building project, though it might be that. It's your whole life, right? Philippians 1.6 promises God started a work in you. And he's going to finish it. 
But in the next chapter, Philippians 2, God calls us to work out that salvation. Right? Ephesians 2.10, God has prepared work for us to do. And even beyond that, if we consider our own salvation, our own lives, there's more. We're talking about the discipling of the nations here. We're talking about the Great Commission. Right? Like Adam, we're taking dominion of the whole world with the gospel, even though we're starting really small. So uh, specific application in this case is, is hard. And you, I hope you understand the frustration of a, a preacher in this sometimes. It's hard because every one of you is in a different place, right? So I can't be all that specific. And besides that, it, it can get uh, quite moralistic too, right? But I'm going to give it a shot here today, just scattershot effort. If any of this hits you, great. If not, make some adjustments as needed. Uh, number one, get your heart in the right place. This is from the last uh, chapter. That they set their hands to this good work, right? They decided, yeah, I've got to build. I've got to make some changes. Get your heart in the right place. Singles, stop spending so much so that you can save to build a house with a sp future spouse. That's important. Kids, clean your bedroom. That is your domain where you can act out beauty, neatness, discipline, order. That's important. Men, maybe there's a home project to provide better for the family. Moms, maybe there's an adjustment to the daily routine that would benefit the kids. These are just some lame efforts I'm giving you here. The building that you have to do is physical like that. But it's more than that. There's a spiritual aspect to your building too, of course. You know, when storms come, Jesus even tells a parable about this. You see which houses are built well. And when the storms of life come and you see how people react, then you see how strong they are spiritually. So spiritually speaking, maybe you need to clear some debris first. Stop that bad habit that's sinful or that just takes too much of your time. Read something from the Bible every day. Pray when you wake up and when you lay down to sleep. Just think about God more. Make lists of as many names for God that you can think of. And then go ransack the Bible or go Google it and find the bigger list and think, oh yeah, these two. Lots of uh, ways that we can meditate on God's word, on him. Make a list of your, of your sins to repent of, of things you should be thankful for. Build up your interior life, they'd call it sometimes today. A life of rejoicing before God often. Of disciplining your thoughts in God's ways. So those are some specific suggestions. That, uh, it, the, the pastor always takes comfort at this point that the Holy Spirit is at work. Right? Because some of that was probably, all of that was probably way off for you. But the Spirit will lead you to make adjustments in, in the specifics that you, that you need to make. I want to close by considering Christ today. Remember that this chapter begins and ends at the Sheep Gate. It's the gate closest to the temple. The temple is the presence of God. Put that together. The goal of Nehemiah's wall was to protect the people, yes, but especially the temple. That's why Nehemiah goes there. Ezra's already built the temple. 
But the temple needs more protection, help, strength. The goal of all of our building is to protect the presence of Jesus among us. That's what we're doing. The sheep gate is also where Jesus healed the man paralyzed for 38 years. Same exact place. Jesus is the master builder, the master craftsman of Proverbs 8, who raises us from the dead, redeems our history, our place, and gives us the will and the strength to build. So we can trust him. This isn't just a, a moralistic effort. It's, it's not just go clean your room. Right? We can build because Jesus is building us. There's an old Scottish commentator, writer, theologian, Alexander McLaren. I read uh, his take on this chapter this week. He's, he put it this way. He listed a whole, all kinds of social programs and personal training regimes that are out there that, that we work and strive at to improve society. And he says this, I believe that I know a thing that if lodged in a man's heart will do pretty nearly all that they aspire to do. I will best serve my generation by trying to get men to love and fear Jesus Christ, the Savior. If you can get his love into a man's heart, that will produce new tastes and new inclinations, which will reform and sweeten and purify faster than anything else does. It's a great quote from a great forefather in the faith. So Jesus is the one who's building we can talk all about the names and the places. We're all building. But Christ is the, the master craftsman. And he's got two building projects going. Here on earth, he is building his church. We're not doing it for him. He, we often get to thinking that way when we say, clean your room, do this, do that. We th and we get to thinking we're building for him. In a sense, we are. But he is doing the building through us, really. That's the first building project here on earth. The second one we read about in John 14. He is also preparing rooms for us in his father's house. And I tried to put it all together this past few days, and it's all the different scriptures. I don't know that I dare try. I didn't even write this down. But we know from Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem is going to come down from, from heaven as a city, as a bride for her husband. We know Jesus is coming down and we're going to rise and meet him in the air. There's some kind of merging of the place, the new place that Jesus has built and the people that he has built and that comes together and now the people have a place and the new heavens and the new earth emerge. That, that's the consummation. It's glorious to consider. Hard to imagine, but those are some of the pieces. I want to close with a, a story about this uh, preparing rooms for us in his father's house. Back in Jesus' day, there was a story that the rabbis told. Uh, you see, it was the custom that when a man was engaged to a woman at the engagement, he would go and build an extension on his father's house for them to live in. And he would actually say something like John 14 too. I'm going to go back to my father's house and go prepare a place for you. 
And when it's ready, I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me. Isn't that fascinating? That's straight from bridal customs. Anyway, the story that the rabbis tell is that the young man's father, he would supervise, I guess this is still a custom, and he would tell him when it was ready. Right? And that kind of makes some sense for the parents to give, give, give some blessing to the, the child that's going to uh, marry. The, the, uh, going to marry. So that's, that was the custom then. Well, the rabbi's story was that one betrothed man, he was so eager to be married. Every Friday, as the Sabbath began, he would call his father over and say, is it ready now, Dad? Look, I did all this this week. And Dad would say, no, come on, you've got only like half a wall there. You still, there's so much to do. You can't go yet. This is your wife. You've got to make it right. He'd say, okay, okay. And next week, he'd do a little bit more and go back. Now is it ready, Dad? No, there's plenty more to do. Keep Keep working at it. Week by week, this would happen. One day, the rabbi walks past and sees the young man working furiously. And he stops him and he says, young man, when is your wedding? And the man stops, he pauses, and he puts down his hammer with some exasperation and he says, no one knows the day or the hour. Not the sun, not even the angels of heaven. Only my father. And the rabbis explained, this is how it is when you want to be married. This is God's heart to his people. His Messiah longs for the Father to send him to his people. He desires to be with his people fully, without sin and sorrow in the world. So do you see what Jesus is doing now when he comes and simply quotes the punchline of the story? That bridegroom, that Messiah, that son of man... It's me. I'm the one doing the building, preparing a place for my bride. God is, God is building his people. God is building for his people. Let us rise up and work and build uh, with him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we see in your word your loving heart towards your people. You have given your own son, not only as a uh, bridegroom for us, but as a sacrifice. We pray that we would see Jesus not only high and lifted up and seated on the throne, but eagerly working, continuing to work, bringing about his kingdom purposes so that his bride is ready and so that their place is ready. Give us the ability to work for your same purposes. Give us that desire. Give us uh, wisdom to know how to build. All this we pray for, we we need all of this from you. We pray in the name of Jesus.
Matthew 13 for our communion exhortation. Matthew 13, two quick parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. Leaven sometimes represents sin in the Bible, but not always. As we see in these verses, our Lord sometimes uses leaven to illustrate the growth of the kingdom. So two things about the sacrament show that. One is the elements. The elements are produced, the bread and the wine, are produced in a process of growth with leavening agents, both the bread and the wine. Jesus instituted the sacrament of Passover using unleavened bread, it is true, but the Old Testament feast of Pentecost required leavened bread, and that is when the church grew and broke bread uh, daily together. The bread and wine show us not only Christ's body and blood, his death, they also show the fruit of his death, the growth of his kingdom. And second, in the same uh, theme, this is indeed a kingdom table. It's the Lord's table. He is the king, and this is a royal feast where he shows us that we are adopted sons and daughters of the king. We are citizens of a growing kingdom that will fill the world, like leaven permeates the whole loaf. From the mustard seed of this little bit of bread, this tiny cup, come fruitful lives that grow together into a great tree, giving shade and rest and fruit to the world. God is doing this uh, by his spirit, through the faith that he has given to us, and so he works through the means of grace, like the preaching of the word, the bread and the wine, to cause this growth. So come, for all things are now ready. The body of Christ, broken for you. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.